Howdy, everyone, and thank you again for tuning in to the Jeffersonian Tradition. Before we get started, I have a couple of things to go over. I want to keep bringing y'all high-quality content, but I cannot do that without your support. So please, help buy me a cup of coffee every month and join the Ward Republic by chipping in $5 per month through the supporting listener link in the show notes page. I am not part of a fancy podcasting network, and I don't like the restrictions that come along with certain advertising campaigns. So I am coming to y'all with my hat in my hand. So please help me keep this show going and keep it independent by doing your part and chipping in. If you're not comfortable with a recurring contribution model, I do also have a Cash App profile for the show. So one-time contributions can be sent there. And all of this information is listed in the show notes page as well. And don't forget that Ward Republic membership includes a monthly video conference with myself and the other Ward Republic members. And support monetary freedom today and head over to our sponsor at www.defythegrid.com to purchase your gold bags. I have an affiliate link in the show notes page, and if you use it, I will get a 1% commission, so that'll also help keep the show going. So click on my link in that show notes page and fuel monetary decentralization today. And if you aren't on MeWe yet, then seriously, what are you waiting for? Unlike a certain other social media platform, MeWe respects the right to free speech and offers a privacy bill of rights. So if you'd like to be a member there, then download the MeWe app and search for me at the username Mr. Jeffersonian. The show group is private, so we must be contacts before I can send you the group invite. With all of that fun stuff out of the way, let's now turn our attention to the topic for today's episode. All right, so today we are going to be breaking down the Texas primaries. We actually have with us our very own Crystal Methodist. Crystal, thank you so much for coming on the show, and how are you today? Oh, not too bad. You know, spring's coming on, so uh, it's getting quite busy here on the old homestead. Okay, absolutely, absolutely. So I've pitched your Substack a little bit. That's goingagrarian.substack.com. So what, what all's going on now that this is probably planting season for you, isn't it? Yeah, it's getting close. Um, we had some crazy weather at the end of last week where it got down into the 20s again, but now it's supposed to be all nice. Um, according to the Farmer's Almanac, the last frost is around average March 25th. So hopefully we can start breaking ground around then. I've got a bunch of seedlings that have already been sprouted for going on a month now uh, going. So got my little baby garden started inside uh, looking to get another round of chickens here coming up so all the baby chicks are in at all the all the stores to get so trying to figure those out and get the pastures all cleaned up for leasing them out to our neighbor to have bring some of his cattle over to let them graze on so quite busy here now that uh, the winter is fading away and turning into spring absolutely Absolutely. And again, for the audience, definitely go check out Crystal's Substack, which again is goingagrarian.substack.com. But all right, now that we've exchanged pleasantries, let's get to the abysmal drudgery that was the 2022 Texas primaries. What the hell happened? Good question. I think there's a lot of theories out there um, about why the primaries turned out the way they are. One is that there's the concept in Texas that we have open primaries, which means that your political affiliation is set at your time of voting for the year. So if you were a Democrat in a previous year, you could theoretically vote in a Republican election, um, but then you're kind of locked in for voting Republican for a year. So you can kind of swap parties that way. Um, so you're not, you know, dedicated to one party. You get to select and you go in to vote. So like, which ticket do you want to vote for? D or R? So you get to pick. Um, 
Another thing is, is that election turnout in Texas is abysmal. I'm talking less than 25% turnout, um, even in presidential election years. So you have a very small uh, group of Texans that end up voting for uh, the offices that, you know, show up on the main general elections where you tend to have a higher turnout. And so that could be contributing to it. There's been a massive influx of people into Texas, me being one of those people who is a refugee from California. So <laughs> it's, there, there could be a lot of factors uh, lending towards it. Um, I, I don't know if there's a true smoking gun, but yeah, it, it didn't, didn't turn out how a lot of people thought it would. Well, I got to be honest. So I've been keeping a very close eye on Texas because I would like to eventually move back there. Uh, for the audience, if y'all don't recall, I actually lived in Texas before coming here to Colorado. So there are some things holding me up with that. Uh, I'm not going to lie. One of them is the high property taxes. You and I were both rooting for Don Huffines. Huffines was using really good states' rights rhetoric, but he was also campaigning on completely eliminating the property tax. Unfortunately, he got crushed. So what specifically do you think happened with that particular office? Hard to tell because when you look at the, the percentages of votes, uh, Huffines got somewhere between 12 and 13%. Alan West got something roughly comparable, and Alan West has a lot more name recognition. Um, he was the chair of the Republican Party in Texas, and so he had a lot more name recognition, but he only got, you know, he only got the same amount of votes as, as roughly Huffines did. Abbott had a, had, like, I think he got 66% of the vote. So I don't know if that's a combination of low turnout, low information voters, uh, party switching voting. Um, I've read that there's a potential that there was actually a lot of fraud as well in the election based on some of the data anomalies in various districts that were occurring. And so I don't really have a good explanation for it. Um, when you talk to people that are on the outside of Texas looking in, they're like, oh, Abbott's doing a great job. Um, constitutional carry was passed. Um, the election integrity laws were passed, um, which were actually, they kind of downgraded them a little bit on from felonies to misdemeanors, which kind of irritated quite a few people here, um, considering everything that allegedly went down in 2020. Um, so if you're just a kind of a casual voter, the information out there looks like Abbott has been doing a fantastic job. Uh, but if you are more on the hardcore political, you know, right side of the political spectrum, you're like, no, he wasn't really doing it all that good. Um, he's, I've heard him called a political windsock, uh, which is kind of true because there were uh, various issues that came up during the primaries that Huffines was advocating for that one of them being like CRT that Abbott actually ended up pivoting on and taking more of the Huffines position and stance on things, which kind of pushed him to the right, which was really interesting. Um, but overall, I don't, I don't really know, have a really good feel for why it turned out the way it did, but here we are. Well, and we have to, you know, let's be clear about why this matters, right? So a lot of people are probably listening to the show and they're like, well, Mr. Jeffersonian, you live in Colorado. Why do you care? It's not your state. Well, I care because Texas is like one of the last bastions. People down there still have a lot of state pride, a lot of state pride. And 
if in that state you can't get a Huffines or even come close to getting a Huffines and you get somebody like Abbott, who, in my opinion, has put up a lot of paper tigers throughout the pandemic, he's he's not been strong. I, I mean, he's done a lot of stuff basically riding the coattails of Ron DeSantis, which to an extent we have to be thankful for what we can get. But if the people are, of Texas are not cognizant enough to stand up and say, look, this guy sucked when, when the chips were all down and all the cards were on the table, this guy sucked. I, I don't I don't know. I'm going to be honest. That left me feeling very, very frustrated. So what was your feeling at, immediately in the aftermath of the primary results? Damn it. I mean, I, it's pretty straightforward. It was very frustrating because I, I had seen even how hard Huffines and even West and Prather had, you know, campaigned across the state and to see still so many Texans turn out for a very establishment candidate is really kind of depressing. I, I, I Just for funsies, I went and looked up the election turnout for the primaries. And of the 17.2 million voters, registered voters in Texas, only 17.5% of them turned out to vote. Um, that broke down 11.3 on the Republican side and 6.2% on the Democrat side. So you have basically just over 10% of the eligible electorate voting. So I don't know what that means for, you know, the other 90% of Texas Republicans. Do they approve of Abbott's job? Did they want another candidate in there? I have no idea. They didn't even bother to go vote in the primary. So it's definitely a bit of a, a head scratcher there. And having it just be a primary isn't really a huge game changer because even in the 2020 presidential election, only 12.4% of Republicans turned out. So that's only 1.1% higher than this primary. And that was a hugely contentious election between Trump and Biden. So it's weird the electorate here um, that there is so much apathy and I don't know what drives that apathy. Well, personally, I think it's because people get so caught up on focusing on the general government. Now I know you said that the general election had low turnout as well, but obviously from our Jeffersonian perspective, this is where the rubber meets the road. The general election honestly doesn't matter in my opinion because you're competing against California and New York and you got the the electoral college which is great but the state election that's where you can really make a difference and that's where people need to focus their energies i mean texas to my knowledge cuz i started tracking this you guys had like what two weeks of early voting if i'm not mistaken yeah it's around two or three weeks something like that it's not a crazy amount of time well that i mean hey election day versus basically election half a month you know that that's not nothing in my opinion anyway no well anyway so getting into some more of the concerning data and looking at the vote totals abbott only received about three hundred seventeen thousand more votes than beto did or beto however you say his name the margin between all republican and democratic gubernatorial candidates was only about nine hundred thousand so if your theory of Democrats screwing with the Republican ticket on the primaries is accurate, how big of a concern is that small of a margin for the general election this November? I'm actually 
actually quite concerned, probably, um, looking at the election trends along with the open primaries and the ability to um, switch tickets, potentially, along with combine that with fraud. And it's definitely concerning. Um, there's a lot of people out there who'll be like, oh, if my candidate didn't you know, win in the primary, I'm just not going to vote in the general and so you could have a potential where people who did want a Huffines or a West or a Prather are just going to be like, you know what, I can't even bring myself to vote for Abbott because I'm so upset. And that's just basically like, well, if I'm not going to vote, I'm that's basically a vote for Beto. Um, I even saw earlier on Facebook, someone was champion for the constitutional candidate that made it on the ballot and vote for him instead of Abbott. And I'm like, that's literally throwing your vote away. Um, I, I hate that party politics has gotten to this point where you can't just look at values and issues and vote. You have to like, oh, the R or the D matters the most. Um, I think that's a huge reason where we're at where we're at right now um, politically is because people don't think about what people are saying anymore. They just look for the letter after the name, and that drives a lot of division in in, in the elections that we get. But as for the turnout, you know, it, in a general election you know the the democrats have historically turned out on you know the equivalence of of the republicans so if you have such a slim margin right now um of republicans over democrats and you had basically double republican turnout over democrat turnout then it's definitely concerning because the numbers when you extrapolate, aren't really going to add up in the favor of the Republicans unless you have a massive increase in the Republican turnout, um, which I'm hoping occurs just for the fact that there's supposed to be this theoretical red wave that's going to come in November due to um, the last, was it, has it only been 13, 14 months of the new administration um, and everything that's gone on um, with inflation, trying to start new wars, um, things like that. So it's really going to come down to this turnout of Republican voters and a gap that small already. If you look historically, the data, the data has the gap has been getting smaller over time um, due to influx of people into the state. Uh, You have the education system doing what it's supposed to do right now and turning out indoctrinated people who can't think anymore. Um, And so I've heard it said that a lot of the reason that Ted Cruz won in his last uh, senatorial election was because not from native Texans, but from conservatives moving to Texas from blue states, And that is the reason that Ted Cruz defeated Beto when he ran for senator last time. So it's definitely a, a disconcerting thing to see such a small gap now and hoping that that can be overcome in November, which is still a very long ways away at this point. Well, it's a long way away until it's not, I I guess is my fear. Eight eight months can go awful quick, but this is where, and you and I have talked about this on the show before, we need some sort of county unit system. And I'm telling you, if Texas's state legislature is smart, they will start trying to push something like that. Because even looking at this year's electoral map, the whole state geographically was basically red, except for San Antonio down in, in the southwest portion down there around Fort Bliss and El Paso, uh, Austin and Dallas. Everything else was red. 
So how do you protect yourself from king numbers if you are not going to be willing to take the steps necessary to do so while you still have the ability and the power to do it? Yeah, and, and that's something that's where, you know, we've talked about before my one county, one vote idea. Um, I've started bringing that up again um, to various people of influence in the area of, you know, saying basically, you know, our founding fathers, they were not on board with democracy, which is why we have a federated republic, because they're like, eh, pure democracy, bad. Yet in our state governments, they are these pure democracies where it's like, you know, we have these majority wins and it's, we have places like if you get Dallas, Bexar, um, and Harris, you've pretty much won the state. That's basically Houston, San Antonio, and Dallas. If you win those three counties, you're almost guaranteed Texas. And that, what about our little tiny counties? Like, you know, I live up in Grayson. It's, you know, a smaller, it's one of the smaller counties, not the smallest, like a Delta, um, which is a very tiny, tiny little county. But do those people not matter? I mean, <laughs> the the largest minority on earth is the individual. And this is the war we're currently fighting is the individual versus the collective. But switching to having that kind of involving the counties that you also have to win a majority of the counties. You can't just go to three counties and get all those people to vote for you or have, you know, the Democrats dominate in those counties. And basically I will control all of Texas because of that. It's, it's really not fair to everybody else. And so creating that like a county unit system, as you call it, uh, would actually be really beneficial. And getting the Republicans to try and get on board with that, I think, might actually be kind of difficult because there is a heavy establishment influence in uh, in Austin. And that's problematic because even though we're, quote, red Republicans, sometimes they actually don't seem to act in the interest of what would be the actual Republican values. Um, they tend to get more aligned with, you know, the D.C. collective and... I don't think that that's really in the best interest of Texans. There's a lot of on sometimes a, a very nationalistic bent to things that go on here, which is basically sacrificing Texas and Texans uh, to the altar of DC, which is clearly not the intent of the founding of this country. Um, so trying to push something like that through, yes, we have the majorities, but I don't know if the establishment's going to step up. They didn't step up for vaccine against vaccine mandates. So what's going to make them step up for this? Well, and that is another problem. And, you know, you and I have been talking offline about this, but it's terrible because you have in these conservative states, we hear about how business friendly they are, but that really just means they give no cares to the needs of the people. And I'm of the opinion, everybody's heard me say this before. I am, I do consider myself a populist right person. Now I believe in state authority. I, I do believe in that. So I'm, I don't any longer consider myself a libertarian, but I still consider myself very populist. And when it comes to that, there still needs to be a check for democratic excesses, such as king numbers. You don't want mob rule, but that doesn't mean that the legislation you pass cannot be more bent in favor of the people versus the corporate interest. All that being said, I would be willing to try to pitch it to the Republicans as like, hey, look, do y'all want to stay in power? This is how you do it. I, I mean, I'm willing to go that low brow if that's what it takes to wake them up because you have to be brain dead to see demographics are not on the Republican side down there. Yeah, exactly. You have to pitch it to the lowest common denominator. It's like, 
Do you want to maintain power or not? Because this is really, it's a power struggle. This is all this is about. Uh, when it comes down to if something's morally right or if it's, um, you know, in the majority interest of the people, if it's not in the interest of the establishment, it's not going to happen. So if you have to couch it in terms of if you want to keep power, this is what you have to do. Sometimes you, you've got to play the game. Um, this is this is not checkers. It's chess, and it's a, it's almost like 4D chess. It's it's a it's a long term game and strategy at this point. It's it's gonna cause you to probably have some you know pain in the in, in mentally if you're trying to like be you know peer to your principles. But sometimes when you're playing the long game, you need to realize that sometimes you have to make short term sacrifices to get to the final goal, um, which I think sometimes conservatives get really short sighted on. They are I want everything now. And I'm like, this is not a, a short-term game. The left has been playing this game for decades. We did not get to where we are today overnight. This has been slowly, incrementally chipping away at our founding principles, Western culture, and just tearing it down slowly, little increment by increment. And if you think you're going to get it back overnight, you are fooling yourself. So, yeah, playing that that power game is probably the best approach. Well, we could dwell on that all episode long. But moving on to our next office, we're going to talk about the lieutenant governor. So our friend and leader of the Texas movement, Daniel Miller, actually ran for lieutenant, excuse me, lieutenant governor. Unfortunately, he was also pretty much blown away in this race. And the New York Times describes the sitting or the incumbent and Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick as having pushed the state government of Texas, quote, hard to the right, end quote. What does that mean, and do you believe it? So I think that's kind of, you know, Dan Patrick, he's not horrible from a record perspective. I think this hard to the right, I mean, coming from the New York Times, being hard to the right is is a very... Uh, Anything right of mouth. Exactly. Um, so if you're like, I, you know, I'm cool with guns. Oh, you're a crazy right winger. Oh, you know, I'm, a, I'm against abortion. You're a crazy right winger. So it's like, it, it, it's hard to the right when you're coming out of the mouth of the New York Times to be a very relative term. Um, you know, looking at Dan Patrick's record, he doesn't have a super terrible record. Um, but going back to what I was saying earlier about how Huffine some of the things he was calling out Abbott on caused them to be a little bit more pivot to the right. So I think that might be where that's coming from. But yeah, if you're using the New York Times as your bellwether for what is right wing, then you have a huge, huge playing field to go run on. Oh, I agree. I agree. And just as an aside, so for listeners who don't know the way that the Texas state constitution is structured the office of the governor is intentionally fractured as they experience some pretty terrible executive tyranny and corruption under the Reconstruction regime. So accordingly, the office of lieutenant governor actually wields a lot of power. Some people would argue even more power than the office of governor because the lieutenant governor has the power to, to say what legislation is going to be tabled when the General Assembly is convened. That's why that particular office is so important, and it would have been awesome if Daniel Miller had won that, because I think he could have pushed for Texas legislation to actually be introduced and debate it. 
All right. And then moving on to the last thing of concern here. Can you tell me about your state legislature district? Were any of your offices up for election? And if so, who were the candidates? Yeah, so I live in uh, House District 62, um, and the incumbent there was a candidate by the name of Reggie Smith, and he was challenged um, by a woman named Shelley Luther. Uh, she actually got her uh, kind of name out there um, under the COVID restrictions that Abbott had put in place. Um, she was a salon owner down in Dallas, and she refused to close her salon because she said that, you know, her employees needed to work to provide for their families. And when Abbott shut things down, um, she was actually arrested for keeping her business open. Um, and so uh, she got a lot of notoriety from that. And uh, she's been trying to make changes ever since because she's like, that's, that's wrong. Like, you, I'm trying to, like, run a business to help people provide for their families and you're shutting me down. People are, you know, able to do their own risk assessments and if they want to come to work, they can come to work. If they don't, they don't. Um, if, you know, citizens want to come and, you know, patron my business and not care about COVID or anything like that, that's their choice. Um, the government said, no, we're going to arrest you because you went against us. And so uh, she got her, her, her name out there because of that. Um, it's actually pretty big here in North Texas, that whole uh issue that went down so she challenged reggie smith um unfortunately she did not um win in this election um it was about a 60 40 split i believe uh towards the incumbent and in general turnout was probably i would say pretty low in my opinion all things considered i have the data here somewhere i was looking it up yeah there were only in total just around 26 thousand votes cast um in for district 62 um just in in my town of sherman alone there's over forty thousand people and so this district comprises was it four different counties yeah four different counties and so it, it's pretty pretty low turnout just like in general across texas there is just voter apathy and so it, it, it's just really hard to you know understand like people want this person in charge i don't know we have this very tiny contingent of people that are voting there's also been you know allegations of election fraud um looking at how early voting data came in and voting data on election day how the numbers have moved up and down don't make sense in different districts um so there's a possibility that's going on out there uh, we'll never know no one ever wants to really investigate election fraud um especially if the establishment wins, no one cares at that point. So it's, it's kind of a oddity, I guess you would say that's out there. Well, on the low turnout, I guess if we wanted to try to look at this positively, there there's the libertarian perspective where you could say, well, people are just getting so fed up. Finally, people are starting to de facto secede from the system I don't really buy into that because the minority who votes in the uh, regime is still going to have a lot of control. But what what do you think? Should we try to look at this as a positive spin to say, look, maybe people are just so sick of everything that's happened the last two years. It's a de facto secession. I mean, that's one a positive way to look at it, but I don't think that's the proper way to look at it. I think, um, you know, you may want to ignore the system, but guess what? The system is never going to ignore you. 
it needs you. You may not need it, but that's the way it's going to work. Um, if you don't show up, what you are going to be left with, the people who do turn out, are going to be the rabid ideologues. And they're going to be the ones who want to pull things in their direction the most. And so you might not want that. You could just be a average middle of the road person. I just want to, you know, raise my family and go to church and go to work and all that good stuff. And no, you're not allowed to do all those things because we think we know what's best for how you to live your life. And so this, the, the idea of, you know, people are seceding from the system it sounds great, but the system at this point is such a leviathan that it's not. It's not going to happen. You are still paying your property taxes. Those haven't gone away. You are still sending your children to public schools where they are being indoctrinated. Those are not going away. You are still going to the grocery store and to the gas station and, and paying ever higher and higher prices. Those are not going away. So you can succeed in your mind all you want physically. You're changed. And so that's why people need to get out there and actually vote because it's just the system we're in right now. Unless you have a complete crack up of the entire country where it's going to be utter chaos, the system is what the system is and you have to work within it to try and change it. Otherwise, it's just going to drag you along with it wherever the ideologues want it to go. And that lines up with my personal view on this, because ultimately it doesn't it does not matter how small of a minority of people elect them. They still have power. They don't care if it's legitimately held power by consent of the governed. As long as they have it, that's all that matters. The apparatus is there. The infrastructure is built and now they control it. That's what kills me when I hear libertarians talk about, oh, this actually the fewer voters we can get turning out, the better, because it's like, no. If you live in a town of 10,000 people and 300 hardcore Democrats show up and they're the ones who vote, guess what? All their candidates now have all of that infrastructure and power to use against you. So I, I agree with you. I, I think it's going to take at the state and local levels, it's going to take getting out there and actually taking this crap over and intentionally moving it to the right. It's not enough just to say, okay, who can I vote for that's a Republican, as seems to be the case for this cycle with Greg Abbott, but you know, you got to vote for people like Huffines. And th and that's another thing that kills me with libertarians is like, you know, they'll post all these memes and stuff like, Oh, if only I had voted harder. Okay. Fair enough. Fine. You can only do so much with voting, but when you have a chance to get somebody like Huffines, not every state level candidate is terrible. Huffines objectively was not terrible. As a matter of fact, I, I don't know. That That's becoming a real soapbox for me, the Spoonerite faction of libertarians out there. Yeah, I kind of almost mock Spooner um, every time I talk about voting. I was like, make him roll over in his grave. And because it, it's, I can see their viewpoint, but again, that is. That's it, in an abstract it's, world. It's, it's abstract. It's utopian. It's a denial of human nature. And as, like I said, it's utopian. And it's a perfect world, and but we don't we are nowhere near that point. So to try and live in that world is very challenging when the world does not want to live that way. Exactly. Well, and and I mean, as I've detailed on a few episodes of the show, that that was one of the largest breaking points with me with libertarianism. They can never get out of their own head and actually, I guess, face facts. All right, but enough about that. 
we're going to go ahead and wrap it up here. Uh, so, Crystal, where do you think Texas state politics go from here? Do you think the burgeoning populist right movement gets angrier or does it die on the vine? I think people are actually getting angrier. Um, in my circles that I run up here in North Texas, people are mad. Like, they were already mad over what's happening at the national level. And then the primaries have just made them even more mad. So I, I have people that, you know, are like, I need to run for office now. And they're they're just, they want to, they want to dig in and and really, you know, clean house because they're looking at this going, I need to do more. We've tried and we need, we still need to do more. And, you know, I made a, a comment on a post yesterday on Facebook or something. It was like, I was like, you know, we need to think locally and act locally to quote Brian McClanahan. And, and everyone's like, yeah, we need to do that more. And I'm like, thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> we, need to, we need to ignore the devil city in Washington. We need to, you know, almost ignore Austin to a point. Uh, we need to get down to our local school boards, our county judges, um, our state judges. Things like that are super important because when we send those people to Austin, that's when we get change. You know, we got to kind of grow these people, homegrown people, so they get the name recognition in their counties. And then when they go up to the state level, people are like, oh, I like that person. And then they can go to Austin um, and try and deal with that swap. (laughs) So... And don't be afraid at the state level. Don't be afraid to vote for the hard right person when they actually run. That, that, I guess that would be my biggest takeaway from this. Looking at the numbers, Alan West, in my opinion, sounded okay. He, he didn't, at least his rhetoric didn't sound as good as Don Huffines. But don't be afraid at the state level to vote for somebody like Huffines. That's how you win. You take your state back, and then it grows up from there. And as you're saying, just give the middle finger to D.C., because who cares? Yeah, a lot of people seem to be like, oh, well, if we don't pick the more moderate candidate, we're not going to win. I'm like, look, y'all are just voting for the R or the D after their name anyway, so who cares how hard right they are? It doesn't matter. You keep picking the moderate R's, they're practically Democrats at this point. For example, Speaker of the House Dave Phelan. He was a Democrat 12 years ago. Speaker Uh of the House of the Republican Party was a Democrat a decade ago. How loyal (laughs) is he to conservative principles? I don't know. Super, super (laughs) duper. Uh, so well, that's what we have. That's what we're dealing with here. Yep. Well, we will go ahead and wrap it up here, Crystal. But thank you again for your time and for coming on the show. And guys, again, make sure to check out her Substack at goingagrarian.substack.com. Please remember, if you find value in the podcast, to consider becoming a supporting listener. And don't forget to help fuel the Jeffersonian Revolution by using the link in the show notes page to purchase your go backs today. And all right, with another episode in the books, thank you again for tuning in, and I will talk to you all next time.